You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning. I promise I don't always bring a box with me when I come to preach, but today I did. I also brought my Bible, so you'll be happy about that as well. Um, My name is Jordan, and I am the student pastor, and since John dresses like a teenager every week, I felt like I should dress like an adult this week, so here we are. I think uh, only for weddings and funerals uh, is there someone wearing a a coat in the pulpit, so... um, Hey, as we get started, we're going to take just a moment and I want to pray for the persecuted church today. There are churches all over the nation who are praying for our 340 million brothers and sisters all across the globe who are heavily persecuted. Nearly 5,000 Christian-owned buildings and churches uh, uh, destroyed this year or this past year in 2020. Uh, um, uh, Thousands of worship gatherings interrupted uh, through um, uh, the persecution executing hand of the culture, government, and people groups around them. And so let's just take a a few moments and, and pray together as we get started. Heavenly Father, we are truly privileged in this room to sit in this place without fear or worry that someone is going to to come in and and strip our Bibles away and take our children from us and throw us into hard labor or slavery or prison camps or, or possibly death. Lord, this is a blessing. And so as we lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who don't necessarily get to enjoy that kind of freedom, Father, we pray for more boldness in the blessing of getting to be with other believers no matter what the cost. Lord, they have counted the cost of what it means to be your disciple. And would their example shape my life? Would would it shape our lives? Would we not take this for granted, but would we pray for our brothers and sisters to be bold, to be strong, to press deeper into the gospel and and, uh, fellowship with you in your sufferings through their suffering, Lord? The one who endures to the end will be saved. And so would you give them an endurance that is beyond anything that this world has to offer. We pray for power. We pray for those who are persecuting Christians to come to Christ as Paul came to you, Lord, and that you would save them, that they would become an outspoken evangelist. You do those kinds of things. But Lord, we just pray that uh, over uh, over our family, our global family this morning in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, as you're turning to First Peter, I would remind you that we're in this series in-house. And, uh, and so uh, uh, here as we uh, bring that series to a close, um, I just wanted to, to tell you a story about my son as we start here. So my, my son, I have two children and a third one on the way. And, uh, and so our children have been raised in this church. And uh, I, I love seeing the way that they interact with people here and, and even at school. And so, you know, when I pick up Jacob, my oldest son who is now six when I pick him up from school there's a playground right beside his his school and he always wants to stop there uh, next to uh, Robinson uh, Kindergarten. And he always wants to stop there and go play because there's usually people out there. And so if there aren't, he'll 
make believe that there are people out there, but if there are people out there, they're his best friend. Even if he's never met them, they are always his best friend. And so when I see him interact with other children and other adults, it is so interesting to me to watch him because he kind of, like if you see a childhood picture of me, I mean, change out the hair color, he, he looks like my son. Like it's clearly, he, he's got blue eyes. He's got the same, you know, facial features. He's got the same smile, the same mannerisms. And when he interacts with other people, there's a sensitivity to him. And, and he, he cries really easily. Like after the baptism earlier, I, I didn't think I was going to recover. So I had to go to the, in the back and try to like pinch myself back into reality. Cause I just, I, I lose it. I mean, the, the Lord has gifted me a sensitivity probably because I grew up with four women by myself. And so I grew up with this sensitivity but my son has that same sensitivity. And he cries in Lion King. Every time Mufasa dies, he knows that lion is going down and he's not coming back, except in the clouds later in some weird dream that he has. But he's not coming back and Jacob cries every time. And when he interacts with other kids, he gets really hyper and excited and he wants everyone to be involved and as excited as him. And when I see this happening, I can't help but think, that's my son. And it is obvious that he is my son. Why? Because my fingerprints are on his life in a genetic way, but also in a very real psychological, social way. We've interacted, we've had community, and therefore my fingerprints are on his life. Well, why do I share that? Well, it's for this reason. God's fingerprints are on his children. And as we think about what that means and what that looks like, uh, First Peter has much to say about what that means that we have God's fingerprints uh, on us. What, what it looks like to be uh, a part of a local church and God's hand to be on us and God's presence to be here in house. Um, uh, you know what's interesting about this passage is that um, First Peter, you know, I think sometimes when we come to the Bible, we read it as if he's... He sent us this letter for our devotion time, and it's written to us individually over a cup of coffee from Common Grounds at our table in the morning. And we're just, you know, we're reading it as if it's to us. And the reality is he wrote this to local churches. He wrote this to, to Highlands and Antiochs and to First Baptist and First Methodist and First Presbyterian and the non-denominational church up the road. And he wrote this to churches. He wrote this specifically to churches. And so this idea that you've that you're a Christian without the local church, it's not anywhere found in the Bible. It's honestly a, a modern invention. And so when we come to the scripture, we need to, to hear this as a teacher to a local church. Like the setting that we're in right now is very appropriate. And so First Peter has a lot to say about what that kingdom culture looks like. So let's start in verse one of First Peter chapter two. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that uh, by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying a, a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so there's one verse here that we're going to center in on that sort of summarizes the whole thing. And so this is verse 9. If you grew up in RAs or GAs like I did, or maybe you grew up in Awana, um, you don't know, some of you who are like under the age of 25 don't know what I just said. But um, those of you who grew up in Awana or church, you'll recognize it. And it stuck out to you probably when we read that. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What do these three things mean that he begins with? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Well, we're obviously, we're just going to, uh, because I'm a good Baptist and clearly Peter was as well, um, he, uh, he gave us three points here and so that's excellent. So the first point is he says, you are a chosen race. Now before you think he's talking about some racial or religious supremacy, that's not what he's talking about. When he says hey, you are a chosen race, what does that mean that you're chosen? The first word in that, that two word phrase, you're a chosen race. Well, he just spent the whole first chapter describing something called being born again. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have been born again. So what does that mean? I, I brought some boxes with me because I am the youth pastor here. And so um, it's good to have illustrations. And so that's what we're going to do here to illustrate this point. He says, you've been born again. So what does that look like? So let's just say this is, uh, this is me. I know I'm not this small, but let, let's just say that's me. And this is, this is you and me. And all other people here. Um, and uh, oh, here's one that actually says you. Okay, so he, here we are. And uh, when you give your life to Christ or when you're born. See, I was born in Paris, Texas on January 22nd in a year that doesn't matter. And, uh, and so uh, when I was born, I was born into a certain culture in, in, in a certain place at a certain time. Uh, um, in a certain skin color, in a certain hospital. And, and I even probably inherited either socially or biologically. I inherited certain prejudices to tend towards people that look like me, that act like me, that think like me, that believe like me, and that's me. But I wasn't just born with those things. I was born in sin. And so what the scripture says and what Peter just spent the whole first chapter describing is that when you give your life to Jesus, when you see that he gave his life for you and you receive him, you believe in his name, he gives you the right to be called children of God. That's John 1, 12 through 13. You were born not of the flesh, nor of your own volition or will or of uh, genealogy or bloodline, but you were born from God. So when you are born again, your first birth wasn't good. You were born in sin. And so now you are hid in Christ. And so what he begins to describe here is Christians, we are not just born again alone, but we're born into 
a family. So we're not just born again, but we're born into a, a, a family, a group. We're adopted as God's children into this thing we call the kingdom. So not only are you in Christ, but you are now a part of the kingdom. And wherever we go, this is us. Wherever we are, this is us. When we meet here in this space, this is us. When Jesus told the Pharisees and a whole group of people who were listening to him teach, the kingdom is in your midst. What he was saying was, the kingdom is anywhere where Jesus is honored as king. And people in that group that were listening heard him and believed and had received him as the king of their lives. And so uh, uh, Highland, if you're in the room today, this is our expression of God's kingdom, which is global. But in this moment, we are meeting as a kingdom in house. We've been adopted into a family. It's interesting. He uses this word race. Uh, it's this word genos, which literally means bloodline or family lineage. It's, it's uh, the same word that Suetonius was a, uh, Suetonius was a, um, a, a first and second century historian biographer. And he even says Christians, he describes Christians in some of his ancient writing. And he says, uh, Christians are, um, are of another genus or of a, of a distinct race. He's saying they are so different. They live so countercultural to the culture around them. It's, it's almost like they're a different people group or a different species. And so when we look at this, when, when it, the idea of being born again, you're born again into a family. I am a child of God. That sounds familiar. And so uh, the other thing that we need to recognize is, is that you have not just been born again. You haven't been born again because of your goodness. I love the testimony that we got to hear. We could have all gone home after that. What a sermon. Because she described the idea that you are not born again based on your goodness. When Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus told him, you have to be born again. He said, I don't think mom's going to be down for that. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, you must be born of the spirit. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he says. And so the idea that we would be a prideful people is silly. Because our salvation never depended on us in the first place. And it doesn't depend on us to stay there. When he says move deeper into the gospel. He says crave that spiritual or crave that milk like a newborn infant. If you really have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He says this is who you are. You press into grace. Highland we are a people of grace, truth and love. And so when we uh, look at this passage in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. So you heard the truth of the gospel and you obeyed it. You, you received it. For a sincere brotherly love one another um, earnestly. From a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. From a pure heart. From a pure, a purified heart. Peter calls us back to the gospel. And it's as if he says, you know, once you've received the gospel, this isn't something that just happens. You don't just show up at a church gathering and then you just feel Christian-y or Bible-y. Or you, you, you automatically, no, he, he literally says you need to put things on and put things off. He says you've purified yourself. But then in chapter 2, he begins by saying, put away all malice and deceit. How can you be a spiritual house being built up by God, uh, 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 defined by grace, truth, and love, if you're, if you're sharing your, your prayer requests and you're nervous that somebody's going to gossip about it? And so you reserve some of the details, or maybe you don't share it at all. 
This is a place where we can be known and and loved and accepted. When we when we think about the idea of, of love, grace, and truth, we need to think about not, um, not comparing ourselves with other people. We need to compare ourselves with the love and grace and truth of God. It reminds me of the story of Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis. God comes to him and puts him into a deep sleep. And when Abraham wakes up, God has parted these animals. as if to say, uh, th- this is the covenant that we're going to make. And, and instead of both parties going through the split animals, as was the custom, it was just God's presence in, in the form of a smoking pot and a torch. And they went through the, the, the torn apart animals. Why did he do that? Well, it was as if to say, if, if, I, if you don't uphold your end of the bargain, then may I be split in two on your behalf. If, if I don't uphold or I can't accomplish my end of the bargain, may I be split in half. It's this idea that my life will be laid down for you and you don't have any part of it. All you have to do is accept this contract, this covenant. All you have to do is receive it to be born again into this family. If 2020 taught us anything, folks, it's that family matter. I remember listening to Billy Graham one time talk about his greatest regrets in life. And one of them was that he didn't spend more time in church community and that he didn't spend more time with his family. What does it mean to be a royal priesthood? Well, the royal priesthood, the, the word in Greek here, it literally means like a palace temple. A palace, temple, or a, a spiritual house is what he says in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 5. He says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be holy, a holy priesthood. Um, th- th- there's this idea in Acts chapter 7, verse 48. It says, God does not dwell in uh, spaces made by human hands. In other words, God is building his temple, and it's not made by bricks. When I was trying to teach my son Jacob this a couple of years ago, I was trying to teach him that this isn't the church. This building is not the church. This is where Highland meets. We used to have a sign in front of the chapel that said Highland Baptist worships here. I love the implication of that. It's as if to say the building isn't Highland Baptist Church. We are collectively. So when we meet in house, we are, there's this uh, spiritual thing that happens where we're being built up, not just individually in our separate spaces, but together we are God's house. And I'm not unsympathetic to the reasons why people don't come. We've all heard about church pain that has happened, or maybe somebody vicariously lives through their family who had church pain in the past, so they're not going to show up. Or maybe they're spiritual and not religious, like everyone in my generation. Maybe they have, um, they, they've separated themselves from church sins, because let's be honest, the church has some sins. Anytime you get sinners together, sin's going to happen. Or we think we can have just church over coffee. Or maybe we're self-righteous and think, well, I don't want to be there with all those other hypocrites. I mean, even Peter says, put away hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy uh, comes from the word um, uh, that, that talks about wearing different masks when you're play acting. Do you wear a different mask here than you do when you're running your business? Well, if you do that, people aren't going to want to come. The second thing is uh, about being a royal priesthood is that um, we are interdependent. People know us. There, there's, there's this idea that there's a, there's a brick here and a brick here and a brick here. And if you take out one of those bricks, these other bricks depend on that one to stay in place. So when you're missing and when you're not here, you're not playing the role that we need you to play. Each of you has a specific role that the other person next to you cannot play. 
The, the best example of being interdependent and yet built on the cornerstone of Christ is Jesus and his disciples. If our example is them, they would eat together and they prayed together and they worshiped together and they, they pressed into the Lord together. They devoted themselves to the word and they served together. They served together. A great illustration of this is C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves. He talks about their friend Charles and, and he says when Charles died, he and his friend Ronald were talking and, and he realized, you know, there are parts of Ronald that I'll never get to experience again because only Charles could bring them out of Ronald. In the same way, when you're gone, there are bits of each other and there are bits of God that we don't get to experience anymore because you're gone and you're not here. We need you. It's vital that you're here and you play your role. And the last thing is, is that we have, a, we have priestly responsibilities here. When we sing, I don't know if you realize this, but when we sing, this isn't a concert. They have amazing voices. Can we just be honest? Like our worship band is incredible. We have some of the best singers I've ever heard. And, 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 but the point of it is, isn't that you would sit back and watch the performers. Because we are ministering, this is, so, this is just very odd to me as, a, as an old Southern Baptist, but we are ministering to God when we sing. We are, we are administering the praise that he deserves. No one's praising, it's, it's okay if they don't sing your favorite song because we weren't praising you either in the first place. We're praising God and so when you lift up your hands or you don't feel like it and you force yourself to stand up, maybe you just had a horrible breakup or maybe you're going through a messy divorce or maybe the bank just foreclosed on you or maybe you got a major margin call or whatever the struggle or maybe you have a child that's wayward or whatever it is when you don't feel like standing up but you say, Lord, you are worthy of all my praise you just do it anyway because that's what the priest does. We have priestly responsibilities. In the Old Testament, priests were responsible for worshiping God, ministering to him and to each other. They were caretakers of the temple. Well, the temple isn't a building. It's you guys. So caretaking one another. How are you going to do that when you're not here? And we are meant to know God's word and to dispense it. We're not here to find middle ground in the culture or between Republican and Democrat. We're here to, we're here to, um, uh, to find kingdom ground, not middle ground. And when we find kingdom ground, I, you know, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. This is a place where priests lift up prayers for one another. A few weeks ago, we got a diagnosis that my son had a major leg issue that was not going to be healed easily. And it was going to be a long-term issue. And we had people around the church praying and praying and praying. And we went to an expert uh, in, in Dallas. And they told us, man, there's nothing there. People are healed in this church. People have had cancer healed in this church. Families have been restored here in this church. And people have been born again here in this gathering. The house will be called a house of prayer. Don't neglect your priestly responsibilities, church, when we gather together. The last thing he said was this, you're a holy nation. Well, what does that mean? Well, holy is this idea of consecration. And I'm not sure that we really get the idea of what it means to be consecrated. It means to set something aside for a specific purpose. 
purpose. So if you go on Instagram and you just look up the hashtag um, Holocaust Museums or Holocaust Memorial, it's very interesting to see people posing uh, in upside down handstands and cartwheels and uh, you know all these kind of ridiculous poses at Holocaust Museums because the reality is they don't understand what it means to set something aside for a specific purpose and there's like a holiness to it and you interact with it in a certain way and so when we come into this space, it's very important that we consecrate this moment but also that our lives are consecrated. Our lives are not our own anymore. We've been set aside for a particular purpose. We're a vessel of the temple. And so we, we have uh, the idea that we are a holy nation. We've been consecrated, set aside for a particular uh, purpose. If gathering with the rest of God's family isn't set aside as holy, then why would your life be? We're meant to gather here and then we grow as disciples and then we go. Somebody should put that on a wall or a slogan, but then we, we go and we take the gospel outward. The second thing is, is that we, our condition with each other reveals our position with, with God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse uh, in verse uh, 22, or in uh, chapter 1, verse 22, he says this, having purified your souls by obedience through the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another with a, with a pure heart. If you're loving each other, if your interactions with God and each other uh, are, are happening in this gathering, it should look like people should leave this space feeling like they've encountered the very presence of the king. Like when people come here and they're asked, hey, did you go to church today? They should say, well, if you consider gathering at Highland with a holy nation, a royal priesthood of Christ, offering sacrifices of praise and prayer and healing and stewardship of the mysteries of God going to church, then yeah, I went to church. That's, that's what happens here. Did you go to church this morning? Well, I encountered the heart of God. We're meant to embody the heart of God. When people meet with us here, they should have a sense of kindness and gentleness and graciousness. And yet, stable in the truth of God. Unwavering from what the scripture calls us to. Uh, the, the word for nation here is the word ethnos. Which means, uh, it, it's, it's less about bloodline and it's more about culture or ethnicity. There's a kingdom culture that comes with being a holy nation. It means that your purpose in this world isn't just to live life and to make money and to find a good spouse and to get a good house in this crazy housing market. And then hopefully you can save up to buy a boat and maybe a couple rental properties and you can invest in cryptocurrency if you're lucky enough. That's not the purpose. Your purpose in life is that you are a set aside consecrated to expand God's kingdom culture no matter what the culture around you looks like. Whether the Antichrist is in the White House or somebody else or Billy Graham. The, the, the reality is, is that we are meant to express kingdom culture in this space when we gather in house. And you know what I love about Highland is that I have felt that over the last seven and a half years. I have truly felt the kingdom culture in this space. I've had times, I remember I was talking to my wife and I... I remember we were having a really difficult time and we went to, to our elder Keith Bird and we asked him for prayer and he, 
he, we didn't tell him specifics of anything, but we were having a really difficult time and, and he prayed for us. And that week, that week after he prayed for us, God moved and did something. I remember financially we were struggling and just trying to figure out how to make ends meet and figure things out when we first got here. And one day, you know, uh, Mitch Newbert showed up and just said, hey, I just felt like God wanted me to give you this. And he gave us enough money to pay the exact bill that we couldn't pay. When, when, when Michael Borland stands on this stage and gets to sing a special or a solo, my heart just soars because that brother can sing. When James Poole, when I pray with him, I feel like I'm in the very presence of, of God and I feel like he's actually hearing our prayers and I feel like I leave that, that moment transfigured. And when I gather with you and I hear your voices singing, sometimes I just can't sing. I have to listen to you. I love it when the band steps back and we just hear your voices going up because we are ministers, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen race, lifting up the incense of prayer and praise to God and it is pleasing in his sight. When we meet here, I can't stand not being able to be with you. So as we end here, I just want to plead with you to come home. And when you come into this space, to come in with that mindset that you have a significant role to play. And it's not about being on stage or being a teacher or being ahead of your CG or, or whatever. It's about you are here to minister to God and to each other. The people that you're sitting next to, you're going to be sitting next to in a thousand years from now. How weird is that? The people next to you are not mere mortals. You could be walking down streets of gold and people coming up to you telling you testimonies of what God did because of your prayer here. When we prayed for the persecuted church, there could be a child in Afghanistan who comes and says, God used that specific prayer on that Sunday to rescue me and my family from this situation. Or we lost our lives, but we were bold because we felt the presence of God on us and we were strong because of your prayer. But when we meet here, holy things happen, important things happen, eternal family. This matters. Being in-house matters. And listen, you matter. And so those of you who are listening online, I'm so thankful that you gathered with us. And if you have pre-existing conditions and there are health reasons why you have to stay at home, we are so glad that you chose to be with us today. And for those of you who are, who are questioning, maybe I should go back. It's just been a long time and maybe you just don't want to walk in and somebody say, well, where have you been? Look what the cat dragged in. That's not going to happen. We need you. We want you to come home. We miss you. If you've never given your life to Christ and when I talked about being born again, if you've never surrendered your will to God, that's a conscious decision. He lets you have what you want. If you want the world, he'll let you have the world. But if you want him, everything will change. You can do that today, but whatever we do for the next few moments, can we minister to one another by lifting our, you need to hear the voices of people next to you, knowing that their life isn't as clean as it might look on the outside. I might be wearing a jacket, but also might have things in my life that I need prayer for. And I definitely do. We need to minister to one another and hear each other's voices and God needs to hear us praising him no matter how we feel. We are posturing ourselves before the Father in heaven and saying we are your children and you deserve our praise and we love you back. Let me pray for you. 
Heavenly Father, you are a good God. Thank you for adopting us into your family, into your kingdom. Thank you that you've given us a purpose that matters. And so for the next few moments as we lift our voices in praise, would it be a pleasing sacrifice?